It is with great joy and also a sense of sadness that I invite you to open your copy to God's perfect and precious Word in Exodus chapter 40 for our 25th and final sermon out of this glorious book. This book that has challenged me and taught me so much in these 25 weeks. We've been walking through it together and it's always sort of sad to to get done with a particular portion of Scripture like this. But I'm going to read here in a moment uh, the very end of verse 33 down through the end of the chapter, verse 38. And I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Hear the very word of the living God. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. O Lord, teach us. Teach us what it means to be a people who have your presence, and to be a people who are to live in reality, in relation to your presence in the reality of who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised. Oh Lord, we pray this morning, to the measure that it is good for us, show us your glory. Change us by the wonder of who you are and who you are for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This book begins, and the situation is one of horror. We must not miss it. We must not gloss over it. And as we've been reminding each other, we don't need to cartoon it up. There is a mass of people who are in slavery. They are in bondage. And their captor hates them, sees them as a threat wants to use them as tools to get things done in slavery, and yet looks out at them and says, yet they are useful, but there are too many of them, and orders a genocide on all of the male children to be born. They are to be killed. The situation is awful. The scenes are graphic with horror. It's hard to imagine much worse. And yet the same book ends with a people gathered together. And now there are people who know God's name. Because God came to these people in slavery and bondage. And He he raised up a man named Moses to be a mediator, a go-between, and a, a prophet on behalf of him to the people. And He tells Moses His name. He is... I am. I am who I am. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh, the great covenant God. 
and he reveals himself to a people. But they not only know God's name, they know God's redemption. He gives this powerful visual as he leads them out of bondage in Egypt of walling up the waters and the people walking across. Can you imagine the terror of walking through that walled up water? And then the Egyptian army is defeated by the water as it crashes down on them. And these people sing of God's redemption. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He has defeated his enemies. But they not only know God's name and God's redemption, they know God's presence. They've been learning it. He's been speaking to this people. He spoke to Moses and he spoke to them through Moses. He gave his Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai to build a new people who live by a new reality as a redeemed people. And yet God keeps... uh, showing them His presence, and He desires to dwell among them. And He says a house is to be built for Him, a tabernacle in which He will dwell directly among the people. And in that, they will see His glory to a greater degree than they had ever seen it before, because His very glory will be among them. What an incredible, incredible story. What an incredible reality. You see, as you walk through that, the high point of the high point of the story is when the tabernacle is completed. We could put it this way, when God moves in among the people. Well, that's here in the text this morning. This is the high point of the high point of the book of Exodus. This communicates powerfully to us, this section, the meaning and purpose of the tabernacle. How, how, what are the people to think about the fact that there is this tabernacle and there is this tent of meeting within the tabernacle? What are they to think about that among them? What is that supposed to trigger in their mind? Well, one thing it certainly triggers is a thinking back to a God who had established a relationship with the people and made promises in the very beginning. First of all, the very beginning in terms of Adam and Eve, but also reiterating that promise to Abraham and that promise coming through uh, the line that God is keeping. But they're also to think ahead. You see, the tabernacle, like most signs like this, are to cause the people to look both directions, to remember who God is in terms of what He has done, and to remember who God is in terms of what He has promised, and that empowers them to live in the here and now. Look with me, first of all, of chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall shall erect my dwelling, the one I told you to erect, and exactly the way I told you to do it. You shall erect my house, this portable house, this mobile home that is to be traveling from place to place along with the people. But notice when it is happening, it's happening on New Year's Day. It's almost been one full year since the people were delivered from that bondage in Exodus by the parting of the Red Sea. And now 
they are here as a new people. It is a new year and it is a new era. It is a new people. It is a new kingdom that God is establishing according to the things that He has revealed about Himself in terms of the promise to redeem the people and in terms of His giving of the law to the people. You see, this is, as we've seen throughout, a new creation. What God is doing in a fallen world. What God is gathering up, a people who are to reflect Him in this world, to live by His standards, to live according to His grace and His mercy. But when you go down through chapter 40, verses 3 through 33, you just simply have Moses being the one who fully and finally says, yes, this is the tabernacle. He's the one that God spoke to. He is the mediator. He is the the prophet on behalf of God to the people. And so there are 14 in the beginning here, you shalls, direct, all directed at Moses about what needs to be done, how the furnishings are to be ordered, about the anointing of the tabernacle and the anointing of the priest, that is Aaron and his sons, and then what Moses is to do himself. In verse 17 of chapter 40, it says the tabernacle was erected. This is what God had done as He has called the people to do this, and He has done it through the people. And Moses is the one to say, yes, Lord, this has been done according to what You have commanded. You see, it's not fully finished until Moses says, yes, this is what it is. And then when we get down to verse 33 of chapter 40, we see the powerful phrase at the end of that verse that simply says this, so Moses finished the work. Now, not that he did all the work himself. There are all kinds of people work. In fact, there was a spirit-filled contractor we saw. But Moses finished the work. He was the one who was given to oversee on behalf of God this project. And it is done. This creative work is done. What God said needed to be created has been created. And now it is done. It is finished. The work is finished. So what is this finished work of the tabernacle, say? Well, first of all, it says in verse 34 of chapter 40, to the people, He is here. Constantly. When they see the tabernacle, when they position their uh, dwelling places in relation to the tabernacle, according to God's design, it is a constant reminder, He is here. The Lord is here. Yahweh is here. The I Am is here. He is here. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. The cloud here is the symbol of God's presence. Every one of these verses includes a reference to the cloud. Look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, the word then has been added to smooth things up, but in reality, the end of verse 33 and the beginning of verse 34, there is no break and there is no word then. This is not a, a thing in which this happened and this, this happened. This is a continuation. This could be translated uh, something like this. It, it, it could say, 
no sooner than Moses had finished the work than the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Do you see the immediacy there? No sooner than, than, than Moses had finished doing exactly what God had said, that God was there, then God moved up, then God's presence was there. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. No sooner than. It's though like a new homeowner, God cannot wait to move in to His dwelling place among the people. The cloud, the symbol of God's presence. A good symbol in terms of it represents something and yet it it, it veils something too. It sets over and it is a reminder He is here. That is where He is dwelling. That is not our residence. That is His residence. He is dwelling among us though. He is with us. And then the word, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, Here's, here's where we have a hard time tracking with what the Scripture is telling us. The, the, the word glory means weight. Something weighing down. In other words, something very important that brings weight to a situation. It, it means light and splendor and worthiness. But, but it seems to us like an abstraction. There are a lot of things we can get our hands on. Now, we've been in blinding light. We have a sense of that. We've had something that was very important to us that was controlling us. We have a sense of that. But putting it all together, it's sort of when we say the glory, read the glory of the Lord filled the place, it seems sort of an abstract idea. But what I want you to know is that what this is describing for them is concrete. This is not an abstraction. It wasn't. It was kind of like this. It means that if you barge in there, you are blinded to the degree that you fall on the ground and the obvious weight of His glory is upon you as you close your eyes because you cannot handle the light of His glory and His splendor. And you know in that moment there is a God and you are not Him. You see, there is a weightiness to this. There's a reality. This is a concrete reality here. The glory of the Lord filled His dwelling place. You see, if the cloud was the symbol of God's presence, the glory that filled it is the manifestation of God's presence. It's not an abstraction. It's a reality. The one who is holy, holy, holy has entered the tabernacle. This fulfills Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. This cloud and fire have have been before in Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Then when they were in Mount Sinai, Exodus 24, 15-16, then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. They understand what this cloud represents. But get this, now the cloud is not just occasionally there to guide them, 
Now the cloud is not just atop the mountain with only Moses and, and later a few people permitted to go up. Now this cloud is dwelling among them in their neighborhood. The God who came to them, the God who in a cloud in Mount Sinai spoke to Moses, is now the very God in the midst of His people. He has taken up residence. I hope that changes or helps shape the way you read about the Lord Jesus when it says He was Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's commitment to be present with His people. You see, the next verse sort of shocks us a bit. Moses, the guy who was stuttering and stammering, says, I'm not the guy, the guy that God raises up, the guy that had been delivered in the very beginning by the amazing providence of God, the guy that had been trained, the guy that had gone before the people, the guy that led them through the Red Sea, the guy who God had spoken to with the Ten Commandments, the guy who had been given all of the details of the tabernacle, the guy who ratified the fact that the tabernacle was indeed built according to God's design. Now he's heading into the tent of meeting, and it says, no, you can't come in. What's going on here? Excuse me. Verse 35 is about this. He is here providing. What we need to see is this prohibition of Moses entering here in verse 35 is God providing for Moses and for us. Look with me in verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because, here's the reason, the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We just talked about what that glory was like, a concrete reality, not an abstraction. One of my favorite commentators who passed away not too long ago, Alec Montier, says, The Lord had indeed come home, but He was not open to callers. Moses, in 2418, had been in the cloud with the Lord on Mount Sinai. Moses 33.11, the Lord would speak to Moses, it says, face to face. Exodus 34, verse 6, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, meaning with Moses, but now Moses can't enter the tabernacle. Or at least he, he can't enter the place in which the glory has filled. But he had just overseen the building of it. He had just inspected it. Why? What's going on here? Now, remember that Moses was previously invited into these encounters in God's presence. It was never the unveiled glory of God. In fact, one time he shows him his backside. So God invites him as his mediator for this purpose to reveal things to him to tell to the people. Now God has taken up residence among the people and His very glory fills the tabernacle. The tabernacle is built. It's the Lord's house. His glory has filled it. The way you come to His house is according to His terms. And you can only come 
by invitation. And even Moses had to be invited to draw near. Because Moses was the mediator between the people and God, but Moses was a mediator who needed a mediator. Moses needed the same invitation. The invitation was by provision of a substitutionary sacrifice. When we go right into Leviticus, the next book here, that's really one continuous story, we read in Leviticus 1, 1 through 4, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock from the herd of, or, or from the flock. If this offering is a burnt offering, consumed completely, picturing atonement, from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. See, it's a picture here. You bring the sacrificial animal, you lay your hand on him to to symbolically show the transference of your sins and your guilt, and then the animal is consumed in whole. Now, no one was ever saved by the sacrifice of any animal. But this was a picture that there is one to come who would be the Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. Do you see that? See, that is the call here to substitutionary atonement. The fact that Moses doesn't, God doesn't allow Moses to barge in is a gift to Moses. God is providing for him the means of entrance. This God who is here among this people is a God who is providing. Ephesians 5.2, Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 Peter 1.9, but it's with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Hebrews 9.13-15, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, He is the mediator of of a new covenant. He is here providing, but also in verses 36 and 37, guiding. Look with me there. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. Now, the verbs there for set out are repeated action. This is the way they lived. If the cloud was taken up, they would travel. If it wasn't, they would not travel. This was the pattern they were to live by. They had a glory cloud guiding them, the presence of the Lord among them. Now, he says this right after he gives the provision text in the previous verse that, Listen, God is not keeping a distance. God is guiding you. He is leading you. He's not in any way, shape, or form pushed away from you. He's providing the means for you to draw ever closer. His provision is His kindness, and His leading is a mercy in your life. The living and active God, the sovereign one, 
the one whose glory can fill and fill in such a way that you can't come into his presence apart from a sacrifice. That is the one who is guiding the direction of your steps and this people toward a promised land. But you know what he's not leading them to? He's not necessarily leading them into here and now comfort. He's leading them based on a promise. And that promise keeps taking them all kinds of places that they don't want to be. And oftentimes, places that they don't think lead toward the promise that He's given them. So God says, listen, second guess, bring it to me, and I'll break it down and explain everything to you in all the details all the time, right? It's not the way it works. I'll remind you, Again and again and again, every single one of us has everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us direction in each and everything we face. He has not promised us the details. Abraham, go out from your homeland. Where? I'll tell you later. This is the pattern that keeps happening. The disciples are with Jesus and they're sort of mystified at his teaching. And he sort of leaves them mystified sometimes. You see, this is what God... Do we trust him or not? Or do we trust in ourselves? When we say, after you break down all of the details, and I decide you've broken that up like a mathematical equation properly, then I can consent to that. Then we're not trusting God, we're trusting ourselves. We go where he says... We do what he says to do. And oftentimes that's walking in a direction where saying, you know, if I was in charge, I wouldn't be heading here. Okay, you're not, praise God. You would ruin your life. He knows better than you and me and everyone else. He's not leading them into comfort. He's leading them into promise, which is ultimately much better. If you lead yourself based on your desire for comfort, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, and its end is destruction. Motyer puts it this way. They are his to command. It's not for them to find a comfortable campsite and then decide to stay longer or chafe at discomfort and decide to move on. They are his people. He is their God coming to them always as a commander of the army of the Lord. Furthermore, it is the whole building of the tabernacle indicated the Lord's unchanged purpose to dwell among His people. Verses 36 and 37 underline His unchanged purpose to bring them into their promised inheritance. Theirs was to follow His direction, not to demand details, and not to demand further directions they are to rest they are to worship they are to wait they are to watch they are to be fixated on the one whose presence and among them and then they're to travel again and rest again and worship again and wait and watch and fixate on him and travel and rest and worship and wait and watch and this is the pattern of their lives He would indeed guide them on His terms and in His time, and that is always best. Let me say it this way. Much of what you and I label a problem is just simply the path God is taking us on. 
The path God is taking us on is not the problem, it's the way. Jesus had a path, it led to a cross. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, take up your cross and follow me. You see, what you and I often label problem is actually the path. It's the way. And what you and I often complain about is sometimes the blessing. The beginning, the people were multiplying so rapidly, and Pharaoh says, that's a curse, we've got to stop that. If the people of God who had received the promise to multiply had said, this is too much, this is a curse, they would have been calling what was a blessing a curse. That's a dangerous thing. God takes us all kinds of places we would never go if we were in charge. And praise God, we're not in charge. Much of your life and following Christ matters. Much of your spiritual growth just simply amounts to this. That you do not live your life since Jesus is Lord and that since He is guiding you, saying you have to do things. In Christ, you live with this sense of excitement, even though all kinds of things Uh, initially bring you a sense of what? Why? That doesn't seem right. You live not having to do things, but getting to do things in Jesus' name. You wake up and you say, I get to live today in light of the one who has granted me his presence. He is here and he is guiding But I also want you to see in the last verse here, He is here providing, guiding, and always. Exodus forty thirty eight, For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. Fire uh, used in this way as a sense of protection, but also revelation of God. You see that in the burning bush. The, 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 the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. In the sight of of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now get that. In the sight of all the house of Israel. Now it's not just a matter of them seeing Moses go up into a cloud and Moses come back down to them, but God is dwelling among them. There they see. He is here. He is providing. He is guiding. And He's always here. You see, if 36 and 37 were contrasting with 35... To say, listen, this God who has, is, yes, he says you can't come in here because he's providing a way, is the God who is guiding you into the way you need to go. Verse 38 amplifies verse 34. He is here, but there's even more to say than that. He is here always. Always and forever. This will be true always. The permanent reality. Not simply in the sight of one, it says here, but in the sight of the house of Israel. Where? Throughout all their journeys. You know where all this is heading, right? Revelation 21.3. Here we see the people's work was completed. Moses' work was completed. And in Revelation 21.3, we see that God's work will be finished. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The tabernacle of God is with man. He will tabernacle with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. And then it says there will be no more tears. 
There will be no more suffering, no more heartache, no more death. God dwelling with his people out of the very presence of sin. You see, what was evident locally in the tabernacle among the people at this time is ultimately going to be evident to all people cosmically for all eternity. God among His people forever. Fully delivered. Finally delivered. And the guiding will be the direct guiding in His very presence in a new heavens and a new earth. Pray with me. Oh Lord, the wonder of this section is too much for me to even approximate an explanation. But Lord, I pray that Your Spirit is at work among us, giving eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive beyond what I can feebly point out. Lord, change us, transform us according to Your truth. We pray it in the name of Jesus the Christ. In His name and for His sake and for His glory and for our eternal good, we pray. Amen. Well, God continues communicating to us this morning through the truth of His Word and through the truth of His command to us to embrace two signs of the kingdom in the life of the church. One of those signs of the kingdom is baptism. Baptistry over here where somebody uh, comes and they present themselves and there is a, a symbolic death, burial, and resurrection to say, my hope is not in myself. I don't trust myself. My hope is only in Jesus Christ. It's the beginning ordinance of the believer's life. It is to be someone who has put their faith in Christ who is publicly declaring that. Yes, there's a verbal part of that, but there's a witness to that by embracing this sign that God has given. And it's a command given to the church. The church is the caretaker. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Everyone who's a member of this church has a testimony of God bringing them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And about a future promise of God one day bringing body and spirit together forever in the new heavens and new earth. Baptism pictures that. And so it is to be done first. But then there's a continuing ordinance of the Christian life. Uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. It is a people who come together and say all of our hope is bound up in this. His body for us. His blood shed for us. This is our charter. This is the new covenant. This is why we have the hope of eternal life. So one who has obeyed that command is to come to the table again and again and continue to do it till He comes. Now, there are warnings given about coming to the table. They aren't what we usually think. We think, oh, if I know really I'm a bad sinner and I've, I've done some things, I, I shouldn't come. Listen, if you are unrepentant about those things, then repent. Don't come. But, but the Bible calls us to examine not whether or not we're guilty sinners. That is actually your credential. If you think that you are not, then you should not come. Or if you're looking around thinking that you, of course, have the right to partake, but man, you look around and there's plenty of others you see that shouldn't because you're in a better place spiritually than them, then you should not come. Rightly discerning 
the body of our Lord means that we know there is one credential that we bring to this, and that's our sin, and our hope is only in 100% the sovereign grace of God. It's that substitutionary sacrifice. See, the call wasn't for Moses to tell them, bring the substitutionary sacrifice and bring a little bit out of your own pocket too. That's not it. So if you think you can do anything to earn your, or have done anything to earn your salvation, then you're not welcome to the table. But if you're a baptized believer, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, understanding what that means. If you're an accountable member of a Bible-believing church of light, faith, and order, we are glad to invite you to the table today. And if that doesn't apply to you, then we're glad that you're here. Ask questions about why we do what we do. And all the kids here this morning, it is perfect. What's supposed to happen at a time like this is kids are to say, what in the world were y'all doing? Drinking and eating, eating blood? What? That's supposed to happen. What a great opportunity today, parents who are here. All right? So with that said, it's my great joy to invite you to the table together this morning. We're still doing these little things for the time being. Not ideal, but I'm thankful for them. Really thankful for them. If you'll take out what represents the bread. Here's what I want to show you. And that is that at the table, one of the primary things that we are being reminded of is that He is here. And that He is here providing The Bible tells us that as they gathered in that upper room and they transformed the Passover to the Lord's Supper, that He took bread and gave thanks and He broke it. And He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we do that here this morning. Think about one of the amazing things as we think about He is here. In the Old Testament, God gives His presence to a people, and guess what? He finds the highest in social standing and the best palace in the world, and He moves in there. He found a bunch of slaves that He had called out of the world And he traveled with them in a mobile home. And then in the New Testament, it tells us that as the Word was made flesh and dwelling among us, Emmanuel, God with us, it tells us at times he had no place to lay his head. You see, this is a flipping upside down of all worldly understanding of power and authority and what matters in this world. It is a turning of it upside down. You can't have a part foot in the way the world thinks and the love of the world and a part foot in the kingdom of Christ because one will destroy the other. End of the story. We are to live based on a different charter than the rest of the world because we are a part of a different kingdom. God has committed Himself to us. Jesus came full of grace and truth. But you see in that upper room... He not only took the bread and gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
But it says also, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And here, the one who is here is the one who is providing. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, there's one more declaration. In verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, guess what? He's not only here, He's not only providing, He's guiding. We have a job of proclamation until the Lord comes. We do that at the Lord's table, and we do that in countless other ways too. But notice it says, till He comes. Always. When He comes, we will always be with Him at His second coming. There is no end point to this. You see, this is the God who is unbound. In the book of Exodus, a part of what God is doing with all of the the, the signs, the, the mighty works against the so-called gods of Egypt, is mocking them. They are gods of regions. They are gods of phenomenon. The god of the river, the god of the sky, the god of this area. This is the god who is unbound. He is the god of the cosmos. He is unlike any other so-called god then and now. And He has given His presence to a people. He has provided for them. He guides them. And He is with them always. It sounds like this at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority, I'm unbound. In heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank You so much for this portion of Your Word, for this day. I thank You, Lord, for Your table. And Lord, I pray that as we respond in these moments that You would be honored and glorified. I pray that those who are apart from Christ or don't know where they stand in relation to Christ would turn to Christ this very day. I pray that those who need to ask questions will ask those questions. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, that there would never be one breath that we ever take that is the same. Because on this day, we have seen Your glory. And we can't be the same. Lord, make it so, in Jesus' name, amen.